Welcome to the Arts Report for October 2nd, 2013. Tonight we have Arts Reporter Rohit Joseph in the studio to tell us about Agatha Christie's play The Hollow. We'll review some terrific films from the Vancouver Film Festival. And I have director Brian Cochran and actor Scott Button in from 20-something theatre to talk about their new production, Speech and Debate. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a packed show as usual, so we'll get right into it. But um, And I'm going to turn on my guests. Hello, we've got Rohit in the studio. Hello. And also Sarah, an intern from BCIT. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to... Hi. Hi. And maybe just move that down a little bit closer to your mouth. And we'll talk to you in a bit about some films. Um, but there was a sexual assault on campus last week. Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah unfortunately. What did, yeah, yeah, what did you hear? Just like a news feed kind of thing? Yeah, uh, from what I hear, it happened very late at night. Okay. And uh, the victim was walking alone uh, just just near the residence where she lives. And it's sad that that actually had to happen near, uh, you know, near the very spot she lives. You can't even... It, it makes like a big trust issue in our campus. Yeah. You can't walk alone and it shouldn't matter gender wise it really shouldn't have yeah. to be like oh a, a girl shouldn't be walking alone at this time on campus it's on campus it yeah. should be safe regardless everybody should be comfortable walking at any time yeah yeah it was shocking and just a reminder to be vigilant mm-hmm. um and she fought and got away thankfully but yeah. still terrifying and traumatic so do fight uh, keep an eye out. They are out there, I know. Um, so, and those self-defense courses are always a good idea, too. And yeah. we're, st- why, <laughs> what's funny? No, 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 just like sometimes you hear like the gimmicky self-defense yeah. courses where they charge ridiculous amounts of money yeah. and they're just like, kick them in the balls. Right, <laughs> or yeah, or bear spray or whatever. Or bear spray. It's well, like, do I have to pay $100 yeah. for that course? <laughs> well, I'm looking at, I've been looking at this place, Wolves Combatives. Oh, okay. He has his own TV show. I don't know if I haven't heard of it before, but he sort of like trains people in these sort of paramilitary uh, exercises. Um, And so he has a women's self-defense course, which 
I thought of taking. Um, but we're still sort of recovering from all the bad press around yeah. the, the slogan chanting in Frosh Week. Yeah, that itself was not going to do us any favors in the UBC campus scene. And it's really, yeah, it's just sad that this is happening one after the other, these incidences. Or maybe it's being more exposed now that, you know, there's more uh, knowledge and more uh, awareness about these issues. And maybe maybe it's a good thing in the sense that we're knowing that these things are happening. We're learning about them more often and it's not being underreported rather than... Uh, you know that that's it's better that it's not being underreported yeah yeah and it's like you know these are freshmen we don't call them freshmen here in yeah. canada i don't know what we call them first year <laughs> students <laughs> um i guess freshman junior senior and all that is american terms but um you know in a way right they're new they don't really know it's the faculty that should be guiding oh, no, no, them no. it's not at all the like Fisher's not- fault yeah because it was supposed to be, it, I believe this was Sauter's uh, uh, Frosh Committee, like, they're supposed to be, the leaders are supposed to be responsible for what their volunteers are going to be saying and doing. Uh, I think the whole issue with that was that, you know, responsibility was being uh, passed on, like the buck was being passed. Right. Nobody was really accepting full responsibility. Yeah. Some people were saying, oh, uh, I couldn't control what they were saying. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just out of my control. It's like, well, what are you there for? <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting because UBC sent that mass letter around to all students. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, like, you know, these letters, as letter, as business letters go, this was very strongly worded and mm-hmm. very hard hitting. Like, I was going to read some of it, but I can't pull it up on my email. But like, uh, if I was a faculty in that department, I would be quaking because, you know, UBC is very angry and it won't happen again. Yeah, I'm, or if it does, like heads will roll. Yeah, well, the reputation of the entire university is on the line with incidences like these, and you know when the media went full on on this event, it it you know it, it makes the whole university look bad. So mm-hmm. of course, heads will roll the next time. Some yeah, shit goes like, and then at St. Mary's University in Halifax as well, mm-hmm. that they kind of got the attention first, if I recall, and then it was like, oh yeah, UBC's doing it too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's shameful, shame. Um, and then, you know, people say, oh, what, what's the harm? Well, the harm is people do get sexually assaulted. I mean, we're preaching to the converted here. I have no doubt on CITR, but just wanted to kind of get some conversation going about that. Um, but on to some kind of fun stuff. I went to see Todd Berry on the 23rd. Do you know Todd Berry? He's no. a comedian. Nobody knows who he is, but he's a celebrity. Um, he does a lot of comedy on different shows and acting and stuff. But uh, it was really a great show. And, you know, there was maybe 100 people there, which I think, you know, considering the stature that he has, wasn't as many as should have gone. And so we were really sort of in for a treat with a hilarious show. And he was very masterful, worked the crowd, talked to people in the crowd, and he's got this sort of velvety voice. Um, I was thinking comedy is kind of like the highest form of art in a way. Like music is powerful or it's bittersweet. You know, theater makes you think. And comedy just, like, it takes everything away. Like you just laugh for an hour and you feel great and and cleansed. Um, so it was a good show. He had a documentary crew with him that did some filming. I was filmed talking to him, but I didn't sign a release form, so I'm not going to be in that film. I don't want to be in that film. Um, yeah, he was great, like utterly charming on stage, off stage, a little prickly, um, but uh, 
definitely it's tough being a celebrity, I'm sure. So, yeah, why don't you talk to us, Rohit, about the Agatha Christie play? Ah, yes. Um, so for those of you who are mystery lovers uh, or just need some kind of theater fix, uh, well, you're in luck because Agatha Christie's The Hollow is being uh, put on by Metro Theater. Metro Theater is a small little theater in the Marine Drive, actually, so in South Vancouver. And uh, it's important to note that all the actors and the stage uh, managers are actually volunteers here. Uh, it's the, the play is um, basically set in late 40s uh, England and uh, takes place in this country manor very far from, you know, the busy, busy cities. And it's about... Uh, a family getting all, uh, you know, their relatives to come and stay for a while and on a holiday and, you know, supposedly things, this is for just relaxing, but of course this is an Agatha Christie play, so things go wrong, you know, tensions start to boil and uh, characters who have, you know, uh, vested interests in uh, in seeing another person go away, you know, start to make this known to, uh, to the audience. It's, uh, and this is... This is actually, you know, quite typical for murder mysteries. Everybody knows this is the convention. But, you know, you go into it as a... If you're going into it as a fan of the genre, you're going to appreciate what's being brought here. And uh, and this play is no exception. And considering that these people who are putting on the show are volunteers, this was an exceptional uh, display. The actors were all uh, really good as an ensemble. And uh, you could tell they really worked on getting their chemistry right. And uh, for a play like this, where it's all about the characters and their relationships with one another, this is critical. This is a critical component uh, to seeing like the the progression, or in some cases, the degression of the characters and and how they like one another or start to dislike one another. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to start giving away spoilers, but I'll just say <laughs> in in my in my thoughts of the play, like just my overall opinion takes a little while to get started. Uh, the first half of the first act is very much about establishing these characters and their relationships. So, you know, it, it comes off across as a bit of eccentric British people talking, you know, giving one-liners and making witty remarks. And that, that, that gets a little stale after a little while, you know, after the first half of the first act. But when uh, the conflicts start popping up between certain characters or... You know, the scandalous uh, affairs are being revealed of certain characters. You know, certain characters are cheating on their, you know, spouses, right? So it's these kinds, when these kinds of conflicts start to pop up, then the play gets going and then it starts uh, escalating. And that's when you start wondering, okay, who's going to get murdered? And that's already like the first, that, that becomes, uh, the, you know, the first major question. That gets answered quite quickly, actually. And then once you've figured out who's murdered, then it becomes the typical whodunit scenario. But I'll just let you know, for those of you interested, there's going to be tons of red herrings. So <laughs> just when you think, you know, it's like one moment, you know, one scene later, another character refutes that. Or, right. So it, it's constantly giving you uh, things to think about. You know, you're always, as an audience member trying to figure it out, you're always on your feet. You're always uh, being diverted. And this is what the play does an excellent job of. And more importantly, this is what the direction and the actors who are working together have done a terrific job of portraying you know an Agatha Christie play is meant to be like this it's meant to be constantly uh diverting who you think it's going to be and 
you know, you're, you're, you're never quite sure, but you might have a feeling and then your feeling turns out to be wrong. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> your, your one gut instinct turns out to be completely wrong. And that's, you know, that, uh, or some people might get it. Some people might get it. But, you know, at least with me and my friend who were both watching it, uh, we ended up being quite wrong. And uh, but that's that's the fun of it. You yeah, know? That, that's that's the fun. It's, it, it keeps you actively engaged. And that's what I think a good murder mystery play mm-hmm. should be doing is your mind is actively engaged. You are almost like a detect detective along with the actual detective that mm-hmm. comes in. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it's it, the play keeps you engaged in that sense. And it does a great job of doing that. And uh, I guess I, I should note some of the standout performances for female performers. Um, uh, there was a, a woman who's called uh, Alison Schamberger and she plays Lucy Angatel. Uh, she was excellent as the eccentric old lady. I mean, uh, this is this is the part that you need to nail just right. You don't want to just come off as crazy. You want to come off as, you know, and almost like your own grandmother who's just coming into that kind of memory, dementia kind of stage of her life. But, you know, she do, she balances it very well. She doesn't make it like, just somebody who's crazy or just makes it uh, somebody who's uh, not crazy enough. She gets that balance, right? And she's excellent as that character. Um, Megan Couch as her daughter, Henrietta Angatel, uh, also really good. And this role is more dramatic, a bit more serious, actually, because she has multiple uh, uh, very interested, interesting like links between multiple characters. So she, her relationships are, you know going from romantic to, you know, serious rivalry with certain characters. So it's, it's quite interesting. And uh, Megan Couch is very versatile as her uh, in her role. So another excellent performer there. And then um, Marie Strom as uh, Gerda uh, Christo. And uh, Marie, it's, it's important to note, all, all the actors here are, you know, in a sense, uh, amateur. But Marie is especially an amateur. This is her first actual play outside of high school and uh, uh for her to take on a big role and get it right so uh you know so easily almost uh it seemed uh it, it was incredible and uh yeah i'd say those were my three favorite female performers uh for the male performers um joshua knight as dr christo uh and this guy is not a very likable character he's not supposed to be too likable but Joshua still has some charisma. He adds some charm to this guy who you don't necessarily like, but you can't help but you know appreciate his his wit and his sarcasm. He's kind of he's he's, he's no not not the most likable guy, but you know he, he's quite clever and Joshua nails it quite uh, quite well. And he he is excellent. And in my opinion, he was my favorite male performer because that Doctor Christo character cannot be too unlikable. So that you you don't like him at all. He's he's just you know a little bit rough around the edges, but there's a char- certain charm to him, and that's uh, what Joshua Knight gets done really well. Uh, there's another character, uh, male character called uh, Edward Angatel, and uh, he's played by Eric uh, Biskupski, and excellent as well. Uh, last but not least, my friend who's in the play, I have to give a shout out. His name is Connor Ruther. He was the butler. Oh, and, uh, you know, you might say, oh, what does the butler do? Well, the butler actually had to work hard, uh, quite hard. He has he has a lot of these uh, difficult scene changes where he has to set everything up and take everything down and change outfits. And uh, his accent, uh, 
he gets the you know the that that typical stereotypical British accent of uh, you know royalty and the Windsor the Windsor yeah. yeah that Windsor accent yes he gets that down quite well I mean I, I I think that's what he was going for and this is another thing all these actors had to nail their they had to actually spend time nailing their accent and sorry they actually around. used. British accents? Yes, they all use... Oh, I shouldn't... I should have noted that in the first place. They all use British accents. Oh, my God. That's totally going the extra mile. Yes, it is. And they actually had to spend time training their accents. This is what has been told by one of the cast members, my friend Connor Ruther. And he said it, you know, it took them a while. At least for the people it it wasn't natural to. You know, certain actors already had a British accent uh, or an Australian accent, such as Joshua Knight. I believe he's an Australian uh, actor. So, you know, everybody, though, had to refine it uh, depending on their character's class background and socioeconomic mm-hmm. status, in a sense. So, uh, yeah, again, it went the extra mile for that, just for doing that. And then that's something you don't necessarily have to expect in a in a play done by volunteers, especially. Yeah. So, uh, again, that was all... Everybody, though, as an ensemble, worked together well. So, although I had some favorites, I, I you couldn't really find a weak link because... Everybody had to be good because they support each other so well and complement each other so well. So overall, for those of you who are now, you know, now have piqued your interest, uh, I will tell you probably if you're budget minded, the best day would be to go on Thursday. Two tickets for $32, which is a really good deal considering usually on other days, uh, $25 for one ticket. So, you know, if you want to go with a friend or go on a date night, this would be good. Uh, go on Thursdays um, at the Metro Theater on Marine Drive. And uh, other than that, I just want to say that it's been, this is apparently uh, 50 years ago they did the same play as one of their first plays they ever put on. So uh, it's pretty cool to see this 50 years later revisited again. That's what's like so genius about Agatha Christie. I mean, she wrote like 100 books or something. Yeah, and yeah. her stuff totally stands the test of time. Oh, very, very much so. Um, and she wrote into her 90s, I think, like continued to write. And yeah. maybe I'm just kind of gullible, but it gets me every time. Like I <laughs> never guess who the murderer is. And even though it might be she had some formula or something. Yeah. Now, who is the detective? Because she's written series of different. There's Poirot yeah, and there's Miss Marple. It, it, isn't, is it? it isn't either of them. It's actually, yeah, this this one is kind of its own thing, this, right. this story. And it has an inspector that comes in from Scotland Yard. But I don't believe he's like a recurring character like a Poirot or Miss Marple. Yeah. But um, the inspector, again, like another great, uh, great performance. The inspector was uh, was also excellently played. And uh, he, he's, he his role is basically to kind of help the audience too in terms of um digesting the information and Mm -hmm, making sense of it right reiterating it but without you know that's the thing you can reiterate almost sounds like regurgitating you don't want to just repeat but uh that uh that role is done well and then you know it's not it's not redundant in any in any way because you kind of need that from the inspector you need that uh, guy to like uh suss out what's been what's happened and Okay, who's so? Who is it that actually has a good chance of being uh, the one here, the the prime suspect? So, yeah, yeah I, it's not a Miss Marple or uh, Inspector Poirot. So that's even more reason if you've seen, yeah. if you're like, oh, I've seen all the Miss Marple and Poirots because uh, you know I, I was raised on that kind of stuff. Yeah. My parents loved it, uh, particularly uh, uh, Inspector Poirot. So you know, if, if you've seen <laughs> all of those, this is still different. You yeah. know, it's still worth checking out and. Uh, yeah, it's, it's still just as 
confuzzling. <laughs> I made up a word Conf- there. I think that's the best word I might have ever heard. Confuzzling. <laughs> I'm going to use it all the time. Con- confounding. Yes. But, but confuzzling is so much better. Yes. I was like, I was trying to choose two words there and, you know. Because confounding, it's like, that's just like it is, right? Something's yeah. confusing. But confuzzling implies a deliberate <laughs> exactly. confounding. Thank deliberate you. Deliberate confounding. <laughs> Confuzzling. Yeah, um, my ex-boyfriend was literally obsessed with Agatha Christie mysteries. And, mm-hmm. like, there's all these seasons. And the British do them so well. Like of course. The, the Poirot. And there were even different Poirot series, like, played by... And Miss Marple was mm-hmm. played, like, in the 60s. They made a bunch. In the 70s, you know, the 90s. So we watched every single one. And every night it'd be like you know, another one. And yeah. I got really bored of them, but he loved them <laughs> like every night. He just loved them and watched them again and again. And I'd be like, you know, I've seen this one. I know what happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think he probably still watches them. But that's great. And so that's at the Metro Theater mm-hmm. in Marple. And do you happen to have a website written down or they can just Google? Oh, it's, it's literally metrotheater.com. Okay, metrotheater.com, The Hollow. And do you know mm-hmm. when it runs until... Yes, so uh, it's going to be, it opened on September 28th, and it's running till uh, October 26th, so you have a lot of time to see it, and it runs every week from Thursday to Saturday. I think they'll have um, some Sunday matinee shows, but uh, usually it's Thursday to Saturday uh, every week, so you'll be able to catch it then, and uh, yeah, all I can say is if you want to say, I want to see, I want to support some local theater, and I want to see some good local theater then this is your answer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, go... And again, if you're saying, oh, well, I don't want to pay too much money, then go on Thursday. It's the best day to go. And uh, apparently it's also the... You know, it draws the most crowds, so it'll be a very nice, lively night to go on. So try and make it out uh, uh, to the Metro Theater for Agatha Christie's The Hollow. Awesome. Thanks, Rohit. Yeah, I remember seeing The Mousetrap, another Agatha Christie play in Victoria. This was like 15 years ago, put on by an amateur troupe of senior citizens Mm -hmm. in an old church hall and in a little coffee and squares and stuff. It was amazing. They did a fantastic job. And I was like, when I'm old, I would like to be in an (laughs) Agatha Christie theater troupe. But let's switch gears because it's the film festival and there's lots to Mm -hmm, talk about. Now, there was one I really wanted to see. And Rohit, you're going tonight yes uh yes yeah. uh, do you think? want do you want to introduce it <laughs> well uh yeah so it's called the kill team it's from the states um it's about uh adam winfield uh, i guess he was a target of a war crime investigation because he blew the whistle mm-hmm. that's all i know about it do you know anything more about the story yeah, just to go I'll go on, uh, expand on that. Um, basically, he blew the whistle on the squad that he was with who were supposedly committing war crimes. And the whole documentary is kind of taking a look at where is the line between, you know, uh, killing because you're in the army and this is what you're supposed to do. Where is that line being crossed when it becomes killing for sport? And that's a very disturbing, of course, line, but it's very blurry in, in, in the you know, in a war that that kind of line does not have a set boundary. And that's what the whole film is trying to mm-hmm. show and explore. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, of course, both of us are, are interested in seeing. So I, I, I just saw the synopsis and then I saw the trailer for this and I felt I have to go see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Hopefully um, it'll come 
through Netflix or some way. Uh, there, you can download it. There's another screening, too. Yeah, there's, there's another, another screening. screening. So tonight at 845 at the International Cinemas in mm-hmm. um, Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, it's on uh, West Pender. West it's big Pender. Cineplex audio on there. Um, the Saturday, October 5th at SFU at 11 a.m. And Tuesday, October 8th at 12.15 p.m. at another one of the Cineplexes. You'll have to check the... Uh, website last week i went to or two weeks ago see a film called um in our name a british film it's a fiction about a female uh, afghanistan veteran and it reminds me of what you're saying because her husband in the film is it comes out over the course of the film that he's a brute um and she discovers that when he was in afghanistan he had killed people and um like for more for sport like what the mm-hmm. squad was doing and then she runs away and it was the most intense film everyone felt sick in the audience afterwards like and i wanted to write a review of it i just didn't have time but i was so tense because it it like from what i know of what veterans experience it was bang on and i knew there were veterans in the audience and i was just going oh man they're like this is going to be freaking them out so badly and uh, it was an excellent film like gut-wrenching so um yeah this should be really good but what's scary is that's a fiction and this is a real life documentary so Mm -hmm. um that's frightening um sarah hi tell us a little bit about yourself um so i am a intern here with bcat i'm in the broadcast journalism program and I'm going to um, get my diploma at the end of the year. And I also um, started a art website with my friend. Um, it's called The Screen Girls. And so basically um, we profile people that are doing contemporary art and music and fashion. So, yeah, I'm just trying to um, kind of get more on the music side and understand some more stuff. And I'm learning a lot here, which is awesome. Yeah, it's a great place to learn and everybody's friendly. And yeah. yeah. So you were saying you've got a friend that's producing one of the films. I'm just going to ask you to pull that microphone down just a bit more. And you're there. Great. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to go see a film. It's called, if I'm pronouncing it right, Wadija. And it's actually the first feature film that was made with a female director in Saudi Arabia. Her name is Haifal Mansour. And so it's a drama. It's about um, a 10-year-old girl named Wadija as she asserts her independence. And as we know, like in Saudi Arabia, a woman can't um, drive without a man in the car. And a woman is not allowed to travel unless she has the permission of her father and or her husband. And so... Um, Wadija is, I guess, a little bit of a more independent girl, and it's kind of the theme of the movie, but it's also the theme of the crew because she is the first female director, and she had to apparently overcome a lot in order to even get this film made and produced. Wow, that sounds excellent. I've um, my grandmother lived in Qatar for several years in the 80s, and so I've always been fascinated by Saudi Arabia and the culture. And she would tell me these stories. Like, girls have to be separated from boys to go to school. And so I've read quite a bit about the formation of the country and the customs. And, and yeah, they have that um, tradition of the independent woman, even though their freedoms are so curtailed. Yes, definitely. 
And um, I think this it's just a landmark film. I know it re received, was received very well at the Cannes Film Festival as well, but it's just a landmark film because it's the first time that a woman's ever been even allowed to do something like this. Wow. So. It's That's great. amazing. Yeah. So I'd like to see that. And I got an email, which I wanted to share too. So there's a film called Manuscripts Don't Burn. Um, and I'll see if I can quickly find it in <coughs> the program here. Can you look for it, Rohit? It, yeah, sure. it might be on this page under the M's. Um, so the filmmaker is Mohammed Rasulov. Um, and he was actually detained in Tehran on his way to Vancouver on September. September 19th, and he's still being interrogated. Um, so it says the latest news is that he is still denied to leave the country. Um, he was told to contact the authorities again on Saturday, so they're putting him off. Um, today, he was told again further to wait. So it says um, this is not acceptable at all, and it has to be made clear that he's being held against his will and is being hindered to exercise his job as a director and a filmmaker. Um, so Manuscripts Don't Burn tells the story of an Iranian author who manages to secretly, secretly write down his memoirs related to his time in jail as a political prisoner. Um, so the film was clandestinely shot, and it's an angry political thriller focusing on two assassins working for Iran's security apparatus. Um, in order to maintain the safety of his crew and cast, names other than Rasulov's the directors are redacted from the film's credits. So that's pretty heavy. Um, and so go and support this film. Um, it, it's, he's under a 20-year filmmaking ban. And so he made this, like, under that ban. Um, so it's playing, there's only one more showing, this Saturday, October 5th at 1.20 p.m. Um, and it played on Friday uh, the the twenty seventh of September. So or, yeah, definitely that's one to watch. So yeah, that's really intense. Um, I just want to talk another about another one I saw. I've gotten a few reviews. I saw two about the Arctic. So like I've been quite fascinated by the <coughs> Arctic Arctic as of late. Um, so I saw one of, called Arctic Defenders about the Inuit people and sort of Canadian history and the formation of the territory of Nunavut. The other one I saw was called um, Arctic Cowboys. I'm just looking for the name. Uh, Atinsky, the story of Arctic Cowboys. And that was about people that live in the northern circle above Finland, the Lapish people or the Laplanders, or their Aboriginal name is Sami. Um, and so I was really excited about both of them. Um, but I liked the Canadian one a lot more. So it was a traditional documentary um, and a portrait of the Inuit people. And just like, you know, they're so resourceful and resilient living up there for these thousands of years. It's it's freezing. Um, and yeah, just really good humor despite what they've been through. So when the British colonists came here, they the Canadian wanted to like make their sovereignty in the north because otherwise other countries might claim that land and they wanted it so they start but they didn't want to live up there so they started to move relocate the Inuit people from their natural territories in northern Quebec and they relocated them up above the Arctic Circle and they were quite heartbroken to be taken from their homes and some of them would just get on their sleds and go back home and they knew the land like they're masters of their domain 
So uh, to prevent that from happening, the government slaughtered 22,000 sled dogs. That's one of the things that comes out wow. in this film. Like, I think every school child should watch this film. So that's just one of the things you find out in these beautiful landscapes. And, and the filmmaker had visited there in his 20s, and he's in his 50s now, and he'd always sort of held it really close to his heart. So he goes back up and visits the people that he knew. Um, so you get to know the people and also the history. And so, like, because no one lived up there, really, um, the domination the assimilation that that uh, the Canadian government wanted to achieve never really occurred. They were still affected by having their land stolen, but not to the same extent that the Aboriginal people were down south. Um, but they did receive, or were sort of forced upon them, uh, British educations. So this cohort of really political, smart Inuit emerged in the 1960s, so they're bright and articulate and passionate about self-governance. And they worked, they were really smart, and they prided themselves on sort of being persistent and patient and gently persuaded the government over time to create the territory of Nunavut. So there's this sort of triumph and this pride in being able to do that, and you get to see inside the Nunavut legislature um, and you get to see these desolate kind of open landscapes of the tundra. Um, and then you get to hear into people's homes, hearing their sad stories of their relatives that were hurt by the relocations and the melting ice and um, the betrayal. They settled on a land claim. It was the largest land claim in Western civilization. Um, and then uh, they, the government just didn't honor it. So, yeah, it should be required viewing. But I just want to play something. Um, and I, you know, I've read books about how humans sort of disseminated over the globe. Like there's this good book, Daughters of Eve. And it seems like, yeah, there, there might have been people coming from Asia over the Arctic bridge or whatever. Um, and I just see similarities here in some ways with the Tibetan people or the Central Asian people, um, and they do this throat singing. So in t Tibet, it, the throat singing is more meditative and calm. Uh, the Inuit do this incredible throat singing, and it's more the women that do it. In mm. Tibet, it's the men. And the women do it, and they face each other, and they hold on to each other's arms, and they stare each other in the face, and they do the throat singing. And it's wild. Like, it, you feel the spirit of the Arctic in what they're saying. Like, they almost sound like wild howls and but still that low and they talk about how they go from really low to really high in this the way they breathe and it's this they conceptualize it as friendly competition so whoever runs out of breath first is the loser mm -hmm. so i just wanted to play a bit of um some inuit throat singing this is at a competition in winnipeg manitoba and then we'll come back with um some interviews with uh, Brian Cochran and Scott Button. So here's some throat singing. This is the competition song. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Democracy Days presents their fifth annual fundraising concert, Democracy Loud, taking place Thursday, October 17th in 2013 at the Railway Club, doors at 8 p.m. Funds raised go to support media reform and democratization in Canada. The event features three local bands and great prizes. Tickets are 10 bucks. For more information, visit therailwayclub.com and look under events. Joe Satriani is a rock guitar superstar. Don't miss his Unstoppable Momentum Tour Saturday, October 19th at the Vogue Theatre with special guest sit-down servant featuring Gordy Johnson. Tickets available online at northerntickets.com, by phone at 604-569-1144, or in person at the Northern Tickets office at 918 Granville Street. For more information, visit satriani.com. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. So, yeah, just a couple more things on the film festival. I saw the other one, the Arctic Cowboy set in Lapland, and I wasn't, like, super into it, which is unfortunate because I really am, like, fond of the Lapish culture because my last name is Lapsley. So there may be some um, ancient link there, but um, it was an ethnography. So, um, like, it's not a documentary with a narrative. It's, like fly on the wall but I think the the negative part about that is we didn't really get to enter into what the character like there was no depth to the characters and and the complexity wasn't created like you didn't weren't really clear on their relationships like you knew they were married but it was just a lot of sitting staring into the fire um kind of stuff but um you know, and then she really shocked us, the filmmakers. So they heard these reindeer in the first scenes. They use a helicopter. Um, and then they just, like, brutally slaughter them. Like, and it went on and on and on. And I was like, man, I'm going to leave. Like, if it lasts any more longer, I'm going to leave. And actually, a couple of people did leave. And I was like, that's it. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not, you know. Um, so that was kind of a turnoff. And then, yeah, like, you sense that there's kind of a city around the corner or something, even though they potentially live in in this tundra um but no they had cool there was like small moments i think that's where the ethnography really worked it was sort of you were enchanted by these small moments of things they would do like roasting fish over the fire or making this special tea or they had these sort of elvish clothes there's santa like santa comes from there like santa actually came to their house with a reindeer and a sled so all those things come from lapland so I don't know. It's worth like watching from home, but going out, I don't know. Like I regretted going out on Sunday to see that Arctic Cowboys because then I w was too tired to go out on Monday to see the one um, with Mads Mikkelsen, who's like this gorgeous European actor. He was in the James Bond ones. Um, but I'll try to find that later because I have to move on. But I also saw H&G, um, sort of a play on Hansel and Gretel. So it's 
quite riveting at the beginning, like this neglectful kind of trashy mom and her kids and the, the older kid has to like kind of, you know, be the adult in the family. But then the mom's boyfriend like kind of abandons the kids on the side of the road and they go into the forest where they're kind of, they find this house and there's like a man living in the house. Um, and it's sort of like at first it was like, oh, wow. And then when they get to the house, like you're not sure, is this going to be light or is it going to be like a heavy horror thing? And I just wasn't engaged enough to continue to watch. I had the screener at home. I was like, meh. So as horse racing, we would say it's strong start, failed to menace. Um, and the other one I watched was Ludwig too. So it was really pumped up in terms of being, you know, a big budget, sumptuous period piece. Ludwig too is a king of Bavaria. Uh, known as the Mad King of Bavaria. Um, and so it was It was good. I mean, definitely the sets were amazing, very true to the period. Um, he was obsessed with Wagner. Uh, I was going to play a bit of Wagner, but we're running out of time. I will spare you Wagner. Um, but so it was very slow-moving, sumptuous, but um, three-quarters of the way through the film, like, he had yet to go mad or build any of these castles. Like, he built all these incredible castles in Germany. I have a book on them. Um, I don't have it with me. But they didn't portray his so-called madness very well. Like, he was sort of more, like, weak and neurotic and simpering and shallow and vain. Um, but the book that I have talks about the um, that Ludwig II, that the people of Bavaria really loved him and respected him. And he was quite a visionary and left behind this legacy of incredible architecture. And yeah, he did sort of live in a fantasy world inside his head, but he did have some metal because he brought these, um, you know, his dreams into reality in terms of these buildings. But that's enough on the film festival. There's tons more great stuff. Keep an eye on CITR.ca because we're writing reviews and posting them. Now, 20-something theater is a really cool independent theater company dedicated to producing contemporary theater that is provocative, edgy, and relevant to our generation. And they've got a new production starting tonight. And we're giving away tickets. I've got two tickets to this production. Um, and it's called, why isn't it coming up here? It's called um, Speech and Debate. And so it's a well-known uh, script by Stephen Karam. He's a New York writer or an American writer, and it's played a lot in New York. But I've got Brian Cochran, the director, um, and Scott Button, the actor. And he must get this all the time. Like, he's cute as a button. He is. He's cuter than a button. I had to say that. I had to do that. Um, but so I'm going to get the information you and for you on speech and debate. It's opening tonight on Granville Island. But I did a quite an extensive interview with them and I don't have time to play it all. But first I'm going to warm you up with, we had a bit of a chat about hand washing, Bruce Coburn, um, and then we'll get into more talking about the film. So here we are. Here's Brian Cochran, the director, um, and actor Scott Button. I did my training here, actually. Um, I was in Brian's thesis show, Wild Honey, I had a very supporting role in that. Small but pivotal. A small but pivotal. <laughs> as yeah, uh, uh, as uh, I guess like a mailman basically, coming in giving letters and stuff. And then after that, Brian and I did a co-op production of a play by Edamar Moses called Love Stories. Yeah, I and remember. that was a lot of fun. Was that at the Frederickwood Theater? No, uh, Wild Honey was at the Frederickwood okay. Theater, and Love Stories was at Little Mountain Gallery. Okay. Like right after, like two months after. Mm -hmm. 
I remember I tried to go see Wild Honey um, and couldn't find the theater <laughs> oh, no. and ended up at Bruce Coburn instead. That's and, not bad. Um, it was bad, actually. Really? <laughs> I really <laughs> wish I'd found the Frederick Wood Theater. But did you, like, watch a show and it wasn't any good? Well, no, it was well done, but it was just... It was bland, you know? Okay. I saw him once at Regina Folk Festival, and uh, I thought he did a pretty good set for being just one man and a guitar. He had such a really full sound. He's so good at guitar. Yeah, I mean, um, he's a real pro, beautiful voice. Sort yeah. of the he's songs. written some pretty iconic songs. Yeah. Um, but I have a good story about Bruce Coburn that you can edit out of this recording no, I later. Won't. <laughs> but we were, my band was playing like side stage at Regina Folk Festival, so we had backstage passes and like were gorging ourselves on the buffet so that we could eat for free. And I was in line for one of the two porta potties, and it was like a huge line. And it was all this, like, whoever's in there has been in for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And then people start whispering, like, it's Bruce Coburn. <laughs> Bruce Coburn's in the porta potty. And, like, it finally <laughs> opens up, and out comes Bruce Coburn, and he's, like, decently tall. And he, like, sort of looked like a cross between Neo from The Matrix and Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. And so he has, like, white hair, but it was spiked up um, and, like, a le- like a leather duster, like, ankle-length leather duster. And then he goes right past the hand wash station to his bus. Oh. And I was like, I was like, that's super gross, Bruce Coburn. How are you going to do that? But then when I got in the porta potty, I realized that there was like a hand sanitizer dispenser inside the porta potty. Mm. So I have to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But for a brief moment, I thought that was gross. That he wasn't a hand washer. That he was a yeah. non hand washer. Like after in front of long. everybody. Yeah. yeah after taking. <laughs> yeah. Like at least like feign washing yeah. after taking yeah. that long. I have a friend who shall remain unnamed who, you know, is not a hand washer, but he'll run the tap so people outside the Man, I just had like, like just stick I saw in. like three dudes do that at the airport today. Just like bang the tap so it turned on and then like walk past it. And I was it's like, who are you, but who are you faking it for? Well, like, just <laughs> save, save the four second splash of water and just go out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, own it if you're not if you're not gonna. It do is it. like weird how often in a men's room at a restaurant or bar or any men's room how how many guys you see just go out without washing their hands. Mm-hmm. Do you do you notice that too? I do. I I always I notice and I'm like weird, dude. It's yeah. a deal breaker for me, you know. I'd say that's yeah. like a pretty that's a good thing. reasonable deal breaker. Yeah. Like washes hands. Hi, we're back. I'm Sarah on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Brian Cochran, the director of uh, Speech and Debate, a play that's opening tonight. But Brian used to be the PSA guy here, and he made all the um, public service announcements, and you can hear his voice quite regularly. And he's a very talented director. And I just wanted to mention that his mentor, one of his mentors, was a director named John Cooper, Um, And John's a successful director, and I was his tenant. He was married to Lorena Gale, and I lived in their basement suite for a few years um, in the early 2000s. But Lorena Gale was a wonderful actor, playwright, and director, and she passed away of cancer, um, I think, in 2009. And so, you know, talking to Brian made me think of her. Um, She was... um, bilingual she was up for the governor general's award she was the first black woman to be accepted to the national theater school of canada she was the artistic director of the black theater workshop 
um she just her thing her bio is so long and when i knew her she was more in as a film actor uh ernest goes to school fantastic four she was with don Cheadle in traitor i love that movie and she played don Cheadle's mother halloween the chronicles of riddick the mermaid chair the butterfly effect the day the earth stood still the exorcism of emily rose and many others she also guest starred on many television programs, including The X-Files, Stargate, Smallville, The L Word, Saved, and Kingdom Hospital. From 2004 to 2008, she starred as Priestess Alosha on the sci-fi channel television program Battlestar Galactica. So it was so sad to lose Lorena. Uh, she was a good friend and such a talented actor. It's scary when someone goes that young. So rest in peace, Lorena. I'm going to play the rest of speech and debate. Um, and just let me pull up the information here. It's opening tonight, speech and debate. Um, tickets are $22, regular 18 for or $22 regular, $18 for students. Uh, or rather under 35s and seniors. I guess I don't qualify for under 35. Um, pay what you can, though, tonight, October 2nd. It's a preview at 8 p.m., and it runs October 3rd to 12th at 8 p.m. There's two-for-one matinees. It, the venue is Studio 1398 on Granville Island, Vancouver, and you can check all this out at 20somethingtheater.com. So here's the rest of my interview with um, Brian and actor Scott Button, and we talk a bit about Shakespeare, and then we talk about very cool play, speech, and debate. Here they are. What was that like to For do? Macbeth? Yeah. Well, I, the experience of being in any Shakespeare is always good. So, And I love I loved the character. I was he, Malcolm. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, and, and so, like, it, so some of... Um, I love Malcolm. I, I, I love the story of it. And um, I also love the person that I did the, like my biggest scene with. Malcolm's got this scene that's often cut um, that takes place in England. Uh, and it precedes like mo- like the closing act of, of Mackers. Like it, it precedes like the, the big action, like Lady Macbeth going crazy, Macbeth going crazy, sending out the army, stuff like that. So Malcolm has this long scene with Macduff. Um, where Malcolm tries to like test Macduff to see like if he's loyal because Malcolm is the heir apparent to the throne of, of of Scotland, so he needs to know that he can trust somebody. Um, and so that was the bulk of of my role was that was that scene. And so luckily we retained most of it in the production and got to do that. And it was huge challenges to me as an actor, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that was great. Verbal, that, verbal that was great. Vomit. I was there. being distracting. Um, no, no, no. It was pretty concise, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I did a little blurb on the show about Macbeth and, and the superstition of not saying the name. Mm. When, well, you got so, a very superstitious director, didn't you? Oh, Patrick? The, yeah. Yes. Tell me about yeah, the superstition, how you experienced it. Oh, it's... I, I, uh, well, yeah. So, like, some people really subscribe to it. I will re- always respect it in company who who um, hang on to it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and not saying it in the rehearsal hall and whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I and, and a lot, you often, I've met older theater professionals. I worked with the director at UBC in my second year, and she was very adamant, like, about not saying the M word. And we weren't rehearsing that we were rehearsing a different play right but but it's you know it's i don't know it can be a it can be a real legitimate 
thing for some people. Yeah. And it, like, I'm I'm open to respect. So you're not that, even so. supposed to say it when you're not even in, doing in the play. In any space, you're not supposed okay. to say it. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a theater space. Yeah, I feel I mean, the, yeah, the so this is, this is working around. As soon as you charge somebody money to come and hear somebody say some words or see somebody perform some actions, then it's a theater space, I mm-hmm. guess. So Very true. did yeah, anybody flub and <laughs> say it? I, you know, um, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think everyone is pretty good. Because there's these little rituals you're supposed to do if you do yeah. say yeah, it. Yeah, you, you have to leave the room, uh, walk in a circle three times and spit. Something like that. Something like yeah. That. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 it was fun. So tell me about your current production coming up, starting okay. soon. So it's called Speech and Debate uh, by a great playwright named Stephen Karam, or Karam, depending on how we feel We're that day in rehearsal. Totally sure. We're not totally positive. <laughs> Nobody has to say it in the play. Um, it's a play about three teenagers in Salem, Oregon, uh, so very Pacific Northwest, very uh, relatable geographically to here. Uh, it's about these three kids who all have knowledge about a sex scandal that's unfolding involving... Uh, somebody who works at their school and as well as uh, the mayor of their city and uh, as the play unfolds you realize that they all have a lot more knowledge than you maybe thought they did at first and uh, you start to see them kind of playing each other to their own ends so uh, the speech and debate angle comes in because one character is desperate to start a speech and debate team because she wants to be an actor or actress I just say actor now Um, yeah she really wants to be an actress, is the word that she uses in the play. And the only way she can do it is to start the speech and debate team because she can't get a part in the school musical. So she uh, has to try to get Howie, which is Scott's character, and Solomon, which is played by uh, the lovely and talented and tall Alex Rose. Very tall. Um, and lovely. And, and so she has to sort of manipulate them both into being in the team. Um, but they all know a little too much about one another. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like kind of a, I don't know, it's a really fun, like, it's a fun play to watch because as the story unfolds, new things come out that then recontextualize what you saw before. And uh, it's got songs and dances mm-hmm. and they do little performances. And at the heart of it, it's like this very believable and truthful play about adolescence and like that period in your life when you're ready to be an adult but you're not really an adult and no one will treat you as an adult and so like they're trying to I don't know trying to like cross that bridge into the world of adulthood mm-hmm. um, so it's I don't know we've we've been having a blast I think I've been having a blast I don't know you guys I've also been you having guys have a, blast. a lot of words to learn it's it's a lot of words it's a wordy play but it also very very active and there's always lots going on. Um, there's a whole lot of room. I read a something. I read on Stephen Karam's or Karam's website. Someone wrote a profile on him. I think it was in the New York Times after the Sons of Prof- Sons of the Prophet. Yeah, his, he was he was just on the Pulitzer Prize shortlist mm-hmm, last year. Mm-hmm. So someone wrote a profile on him, and they said what I think a, an artistic director said. What they love about his plays is that it's not all out on the page. That he and that he leaves, he leaves kind of, and that his characters live in this kind of limbo or like this emotional void, and I think and I've read Sons of the Prophet and Speech and Debate; those are the ones that I know. And for Speech and De- Debate, I could say that's completely true yeah. because he his language is incredibly specific and challenging to work with as an actor, but the actual world of the character is is quite open to interpretation. So I think all three of us. It's it's 
mostly centered around the three characters that Brian mentioned, but um, it, it also there's a fourth character, uh, a, a woman named played by Jen Serratos. There's actually she lovely. plays two different characters. Yes, yeah. she plays two characters. Um, uh, yes. Building on what Scott said, <laughs> I really feel like it's kind of, and this is, I did do my masters on Chekhov, but it feels very much like a Chekhov in that it's quite funny because of how truthful it is. So it would be easy to play it really heavily serious and like everybody's down in the dumps, but that's really not what's going on. They're just trying, they're like trying to live their lives. And because it feels like just sort of a snapshot of this period in their lives, there's a lot of stuff that's, yeah, sort of between the lines that the actors are are discovering all the time and digging up. And we keep going back and being like, well, wait, why... If mm-hmm. this is this, then why do they say this? And we we have to keep reevaluating and like digging deeper, which is always the kind of thing you want to work on in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It makes so it fun. It sounds like a play that you could see a, a number of times and get something new out of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 We're back. We're like out of time. I can't believe how fast today went. And it was cool to have Rohit and Sarah in the studio with me. Um, I'm going to be back on October 16th with some more stuff. I'm really, all these festivals are over or will be over, thankfully. Um, But some things I'm looking forward to is Midsummer's Night's Dream at Studio 58. Um, There's some Dutch masters at the Shadbolt Center or no, the Burnaby Museum somewhere. Uh, So I'll talk to you about that. They're going to be here for a while. And Tosca, the Vancouver Opera is opening with Tosca. I'm going to be spending my Halloween there. Um, Edited, not edited, but uh, see, I'm getting overexcited just thinking about it. Jonathan Darlington, the musical director, will be there conducting Tosca. So that's going to be fun. But um, one film that did not come to the Vancouver Film Festival it was called The Grand Seduction. It made a big splash at the Toronto Film Festival. Um, and it, I think it was a remake. Uh, the production was sort of floundering. They brought in Don McKellar, who went out to Newfoundland to do the filming and rescued it. So I wanted to do a little shout-out. It's my show. So I can do a shout-out to Don McKellar. This band called The New Values wrote a song about him. This is the song that I always wanted to write about Don McKellar, but never did. So thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the Arts Report. Come back next week. Megan Thomas will be here with some more wonderful arts reporting. Um, So here they are, the new values, Don McKellar. See you next week.
AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during the studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS